Father Ely. This is a show where your opinions are welcome, your opinions are respected, but your facts are valued. This stage in the show, usually I would uh, respond to some emails that were sent in, but since this is the first show, we don't have any yet. Um, today's show is about racism in America. So, what I'm going to do first is the part of the show that we like to call the one plus one equals two. This is where we break down the black and white of a topic. Um, the textbook definition of a topic. In this case, the one is racism. Um, racism by definition is prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior the belief that all members of each race possess the characteristics or abilities specific to that race especially so as to distinguish it as inferior or superior to another race or races the plus one what does it mean to be racist what is racist Racist is a person who shows or feels discrimination or prejudice against people of other races or who believes that a particular race is superior to another. So, in essence, these are the facts of the matter. You know, it's a very, um, you know, there's some people... I don't know if I've met another person that claims that racism doesn't exist, but I have met people who deny that something is actually racist when, in fact, it is. Um, one of the things to clarify, um, based on the one plus one equals two, is that any human being is, in fact, capable of being racist. Um, there's been... You know, a lot of rhetoric back and forth on both sides. I've heard uh, in recent years, people of color make the statement that black people can be racist, which is just false, um, according to the definition. Um, I think that is something that needs to be looked at for the simple fact that, you know, it leads to more divisiveness. Um, for instance, when my grandmother told me that we don't eat at Mexican restaurants, because Mexicans are dirty people. She was being racist. <laughs> My mother let me know. Um, so that is the one plus one equals two. And now we're moving into the part of the show called MDG Says. This is where I tell you kind of my analysis um, and I give you a rundown based on some of the things that I've seen. And then after that, we'll uh, introduce you to our guest. So, MDG says this. Here in America, I feel there are three types of racism. Three main types of racism. The first type of racism is blatant racism. This is where 
somebody, you know, like the KKA, KKK, the neo-Nazis, people just are straight up, don't like people that are not their race, uh, are straight and blatantly um, vocal about the fact that they believe that their race is superior and that other races are inferior. That's blatant racism. The next type of racism is um, what I like to call dry racism. And what dry racism dry racism is um, is where you have someone that may not particularly hate people that are not their race or a different color than them, but they support people and or policies that are oppressive to other races and people of color. Um, uh, dry racist might be someone who does something racist and then when you call them out about it says something like, I can't be racist because I have black friends. Or, that's an example of something you might hear a dry racist say. Um, I unfortunately have uh, quite a few dry racists in my family on my mother's side. So now what we're moving on to is the third uh, form of racism, which I feel is really the biggest and uh, problem that feeds all other, uh, a lot of the incidents that happen in our country today. And that is systemic or institutionalized racism. Um, this is a major issue because it really affects and was what has ha has affected people of color in America for generations. Um, and it's dangerous, too, because it's almost like the whitewashed, um, you know, it's covered up because people learn how not to be blatantly racist or come out and show the racism. They can actually, you know, pretend to be doing things in the interest of people of color, but you know, underhandedly support these policies and things that are oppressive to people of color, and we'll get into that. Um, so it's my feeling that, it's my feeling that systemic racism was uh, born in America, not with slavery. I believe that slavery was the seed kind of planted to birth racism. Um, because the reality is if slavery in itself was racist, then when slavery was abolished, then there, you know, there would have been no f racism. Um, it just so happens in America that because the slaves that were here and built this country were people of color from Africa, they were the perfect scapegoat for society that was to ensue. And what I mean by that is once slavery, slavery was abolished, it wasn't that slavery was abolished and everybody's equal. No, slavery was abolished. You couldn't be a slave legal, legally, but it was established at that point that even though you are not a slave, you are second class. You are inferior. If you're a Negro or a colored person, you are not allowed to do the same things that whites are able to do. And that was the birth of racism or systemic racism in America. And 
we've seen the effects of that time and time again. Um, once again, this is a thing that many people have different opinions on, but you know, and that's what we're going to talk about. So I want to introduce our guest today. Very first guest. Yeah. Very first guest on the very first show. Yeah. Who is uh, one of my one of my favorite people? Um, ah man. Yeah, yeah. We go way back. He's an educator. Years. He's a comedian. He's a podcast show host. Um, you know, and and uh, as well another biracial person, uh, who's was born and raised in an, a small city in upstate New York known as Binghamton. Yeah, Binghamton, stand up. So I want to welcome my boy, Jim Search. Hey. Like it is. hey, Matt, thanks for having me on, dude. Uh, I'm glad. I, you know, I was saying before off there, you know, I've never, like, I produce my podcast at my house, Jim Jam Studios, and I'm always behind the board. So this is like, I don't know, the first time in a long time I've actually got to be a guest. So uh, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm excited. To t- uh, I don't want to say, I'm, yeah, I guess I'm excited. I'm uh, excited to talk about this. Uh, you know, I I feel very passionate about uh, race and race relations in America. Um, oh, should I plug anything before I? Yeah, I should plug spy shit. Uh, yeah, find me at gymsearchcomedy.com. Uh, as I'm like about to get super deep about how I hate racism, like, hey, go find me on gymsearchcomedy.com for all my show dates. Um, and also, uh, I do a couple podcasts, uh, Swatches and Boomboxes. We talk 90s rap. Matt's been on there. Uh, I also do another podcast called Shut It Down. It's a bar rescue recap show, so go look at that. Um, that's all the fun stuff. So let's uh, get into, I guess, uh, what are what we're here to talk about? What's uh we're talking about racism and whether it's real or not, right? That's yeah. the deal. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's pretty real. Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess one of the first it things, exists. One of one of the first things uh I want to ask is just um you know I mean these are things we've discussed a lot, but I mean just this last week there was a kid shot by a cop. And I, when I say kid, he's a little 15. kid. Fifteen. He's fifteen years and old. It, and if, and if you see this kid's picture, I mean, he he looks like he's like twelve. Yeah. Little kid shot. Straight A student, by the way. Straight A student. Yeah. But we'll find. I'm sure we'll dig into his history and find out that he farted in third grade, and that'll make him a monster, right? Exactly. So I was reading. So today they finally they've. The cop was fired, and then they finally convicted him of murder. Oh wow! And so I was reading, or they didn't. They didn't. You convict mean they? Him. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. They charged him with they murder. They charged I'm him sorry. with murder. Not like, convicted. God damn. That would be <laughs> that would be fast and, and 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 amazing if that happened. Um, for once in such a sad situation. No, he was arrested and charged with murder. Right. So I was reading the comments, and I'm, and, you know. It, it's like me. It's like you always have to. Ha- Finally, you're gonna see some hope for humanity that people are learning, things are changing as we live in this age of information. Um, but there are still people. Legitimately, I would like to hear all the facts first. Of course, I would like to wait till all the facts come out. You know, the media likes to be so quick to uh, condemn police officers and automatically make it look like. 
the the police officer is 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 a monster or is a racist. Which, by the way, I would be willing to bet those are the same people that, as soon as they saw uh, Mike Brown uh, smoked weed when he was like twelve, are immediately those are the ones who go, "Yeah, see, I told you." The media, uh, we found out. So that's a little hypocritical on their end, but go on. <clears throat> so that being said, it, it goes on to that subject matter of how the media has played a role in this um, with, as far as how systemic racism works. Um, let's go back a few weeks ago. Okay. There was a white supremacist, a, a, a guy who... According to his social media and um, conversations with other people, believed in the superiority of white folks, came to New York to kill. He what he had oh, said yeah. is that he was going to kill people. He to prove a point about biracial mixed um, couples. Yeah, he uh, he's from Baltimore, and uh, he rode the mega bus, which, if he was smart, he would just stay in Baltimore. Plenty of black people to kill there. Uh, but uh, hopped the bus and was specifically looking to find interracial couples, black men, white women, and kill a black person. Uh, but instead found a, I think, homeless dude. Uh or elderly gentleman, uh, elderly black gentleman, and uh, stabbed him. And I haven't heard any. I mean, I don't know uh, much after that. I mean, I think. I mean, he turned himself in, but I don't know if he was charged with a hate crime or or what. But he was charged with a hate crime. Oh, was he? And, oh, good. And, and and I and they were maybe not as quick as we would have liked, but I think they were quicker than they've been in the past. And I kind of do applaud the way that the NYPD handled that in that manner. But I'm going to tell you what was really disappointing to me is the way the media handled it. Like, we've seen plenty of cases where we saw it with Mike, you know, on cue, they had to assassinate the character of the victim. Sure. Um, but this is a case where there was no, like, this guy admitted, there was no doubt. He came and he killed this man solely for the purpose because he was black. Right. And the media, they still put out stories about this man's criminal, he had got arrested for like marijuana. It was it was all minor, nothing ma- major, but even if so, it shouldn't have mattered. Like, but this was a narrative that was put out, and it was headlines, and it was put out on mainstream media outlets, like even local news outlets that I was that usually I maybe being someone who's worked in journalism for many years, want to believe that when you're at the local level, we have a little bit of more integrity than when you're in the business of news entertainment. But the story was still put out there. And I'm just like, you don't ever see that. Like, when do you see that when, you know, with people who aren't persons of color? So are you saying that you're upset that they published this the white dude's criminal record. Is no, that... they didn't publish the white dude's criminal record. Oh, the black. Oh, okay, okay. No, no, no. Oh, you I thought... thought they would have went more. Well, that would have made more sense. Well, that's originally where I thought you went. Was that like? No, I, I didn't follow. Uh, I didn't follow you uh, clearly, but uh, I thought you were saying like they talked about the white dude's record, and I was like, why are you mad about that? No, no, they, they, they. <laughs> that's okay. That's what they should have done. Yeah, that's that should have been the focus. Um, but no, it was the victim. Of course. Well, the victim. 
It's, I mean, it's it's character assassination, and it happens with people of color on either side of a criminal offense. I mean, you're not going to find, you're not, like, when the police arrest someone, you're not going to find the perfect criminal, right? You're not going to find someone who has committed a crime for the first time or has been charged with a crime for the first time. They don't have a record. Like, you're, it's few and far between, right? Mm-hmm. So then what you have happening is you have the character assassination. You dig into their life. You dig into their file. You find you have their trial before they have their trial or you have their trial as they're already dead. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're totally shifting the blame. For example, I mean, you're totally shifting the blame of uh Eric of Eric Gardner and saying well he had been arrested 900 times or however many times prior to this for selling cigarettes or whatever the case may be and then creating a red herring again away from this cop who had been busted before for using excessive force and that somehow falls by the wayside so yeah it's i mean it's a tac- it's smear tactic 101 and it's bullshit and again it does come back to how the media i sound like a fucking right-wing maniac but how the media uh portrays people of color when they are on the other side of the law so mm-hmm. you know it's not anything i mean i'm saying we're not saying anything new mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i mean certainly there's people that would love to refute it and you know play the well he shouldn't have resisted or well he's a criminal well what happened to what happened to the judicial system right yeah. like mm-hmm. you your trial isn't on a sidewalk your trial is in a court of law in front of a jury of your peers yeah. it's supposed to be yeah but it doesn't apply if your skin tone is different so mm-hmm. you know that's yeah. how that goes yeah it's true you know i was talking with one of my colleagues yesterday about that and and this is where we were talking about the difference you know about um white privilege when it comes to dealing with law enforcement and the way that people are perceived like people have this image you know when you see when it's when it's a person of color that is the response oh he shouldn't have resisted or he shouldn't have done this but the thing is is that i've seen with my own eyes i've seen white dudes cuss cops out refuse from them run from them and i mean aside from me seeing it there's videos of it out there do they get shot how often does that happen and when a cop does something unjustified to a white person, there's there's it, it's a big deal. Sure. And it always has been. But I've yet lately it's like I've noticed that there's this, you know, because we're in the age of information and, and I really believe that's the only reason why this is so much light is shed on this topic. Because it used to be these things would happen, but the mainstream media really didn't cover it. Um I remember the Trayvon Martin case, for instance. Um, I think it was like three days after the fact before it actually made, started making mainstream media headlines. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that social media, because it was being spread and, and people were... Sure. And so now we're in an era where mainstream media does have to... All right, we got to report on this stuff. But I think, you know, unfortunately, in a capitalist society... And I'm not anti-capitalist. I'm just being realistic about some of the downsides is that media is another form of 
of you know something to capitalize off. It's a business. So when you have these for-profit uh, mainstream media outfits, Fox News Channel, MNBC, CNN, they have to find ways to utilize um, these topics to gain viewership. And the, the, the debate back and forth is good. But the problem is the way that things are um, reported, the way the headlines are put out there. Um, what's what they pick and choose that they're going to report on. Um, so it, it, it's as the saying goes, like working in journalism, especially when I'm working in a big city, when there's a shooting or there's something in the ghetto, people generally are like, oh, maybe this we'll is, cover it, maybe we won't. Right. But if a white, if it happens to a white person, it's like they're covering the news. It's on the news for a week. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, again, it goes to the. I mean, it's the double standard that there's two. There's two law. There's two uh, systems that are at play, right? You yeah. know, uh, it reminds me of that old uh, Patrice O'Neill joke, where he said, you know, uh, can you name, uh, uh, can you name the uh, fucking? Oh, I'm, I'm gonna fuck it up. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw his joke under the boat. But basically, the, the idea of the joke is, is that. Uh, there is these. There's a white woman who gets kidnapped, and we immediately know who we know the name of the kidnapper. And then there's a black girl who gets kidnapped. We don't even know her name, because white lives are valuable. Like they, <laughs> that's how that works. I yeah. mean, people uh, invest in white tears, so that's how that. I mean, I sound so fatalist about that sort of situation, but it's true. I yeah. mean, and 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 that you know. Once again, to me, is why some of us have the opinion, <laughs> if you will, uh, that uh, that uh, systemic racism is a very real thing that still affects us a lot today. We're going to take a break. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more. I want to get into like some of uh, your experiences um, based on where you grew up and where, where you are now. Sure. Um, as they're similar to mine, but different. We grew up in some couple different environments so uh when we come back we're gonna talk some more here with jim search yo and we're back yeah i am matt the godfather ely telling it like it is with my boy jim search hey what up what's just two biracial brothers speaking about uh racism in america yup so the high yellow conference so um my story is I was born in Binghamton, so that's how I have ties to Binghamton. But when I was about four years old, uh, my parents moved to Houston, Texas. Very different place from uh, from Binghamton. Um, I think that my mother, being that she was she was only 19 when she had me. And my, right. mom, my mom didn't even grow up in Binghamton. My mom grew up in... At her childhood in Montrose, PA, and then the rent in Appalachian. Oof. So my mom lived in like the. That's extra. Well, I don't white. even think there's. She knew a met a person of color <laughs> before she moved to Binghamton. That's like moving to Binghamton was moving to the city for my mom, where she met my dad, who was, a, you know, from the Bronx, New York. And um, I just know that I, I learned some of these stories and some of their experiences as an adult. Um, at one point, they had moved to Nichols, New York. Yep, that's right. It's right near Owego. 
the landlord like screwed them deliberately did some shady stuff didn't fix a furnace made my dad pay for it took to the court and, and it was some like blatantly racist and the judge pretty much told them in the courtroom like we live somewhere else we don't approve of your kind here jesus christ i, I, I don't know i can't remember the exact story my aunt t knew, told me knew the story like the way it was and so i think other than that i really believe my mother was pretty naive to how deep racism really went Right, like she she acknowledged it. She couldn't stand it. She spoke out against bigots. I, I you know I remember when I was a kid, her, um, I think I was like three or four. The first time I watched something about Martin Luther King, and my mom kind of was explaining to me, uh, you know who he was and what he stood for. But I think that there was a certain amount of naivety that she had. You know, she came from an Irish Catholic family. Um. So Irish, as most Irish Catholics are like Republicans, and um, I mean post JFK, after JF, once after JFK, they were. Um, so I think that to some degree, she was not aware of white privilege until, as we grew in Houston, and she had eight biracial children, and started to see, yeah, the things that would happen. <laughs> had a had a had a cop police officer that she called for help who basically told her when you have a bunch of mixed breed children with a with a with a I can't remember if he said black man or colored man or something to that effect what do you expect <laughs> cop told my mom this yeah she started to to realize put it together bit. but for me i was you know i you know when i really realized and experienced racism I, I was in a foster home. I did spend some time in foster care as a kid. Um, well, my father was battling drug addiction, had to go to rehab. My mother, being a young 24-year-old mother, had a nervous breakdown, went into a hot, had to went, be institutionalized herself. Shit. At that time, me and my two brothers and my two sisters had to go into foster care. She, yeah, yeah. So what happened was when my mother took us uh, and when we first went to stay with a foster, the first foster family, my mom kind of took us and to Depelshin, uh, which was the place in Houston that handled foster care, and they placed us with a family, a white family that lived out in the country, nice little town, um, typical. They lived on a farm. Um, we were there, I think, maybe a month. And I remember, and I can remember this plainly, the time I started talking about uh, that our dad was black. How old were you when this was going on? I think I was seven. Okay. Seven at this point. I started talking about how our dad was black. And the lady, I remember my foster mother, we were, we were with people at the church. They went to a Baptist church, all white people, <laughs> all white Baptist church. And I was talking about the fact that my dad was black. And I remember her basically telling me, no, no, your dad, like, shushing me up and I remember thinking why would they say that why would they say my dad's not black and looking back like the way we were treated in that home changed drastically I believe it um we were we would be left in the room like me and my brothers would be left in the room while them and their family would be out watching movies we were like alienated from the family Jesus I will never forget Christ, the time man. the lady let her daughter hit me across the face with a shoe and what so what then happened was they reported to 
Depelshin uh, that we were actually black. And at that time, they still marked Negro as your race. I remember being in elementary school and seeing on my uh, report card that my race was Negro. I think I was in second grade. So they found, so once Depelshin found out that we were actually black, they were like, well, if they're black, they have to be placed in black neighborhoods, a.k.a. the ghetto. Yep. And that's when I was sent to Acres Home, um, which was like one of the worst ghettos in Houston, and my brothers were sent to South Park. Well, when I was in Acres Home, my foster mother worked like all the, she was like she was a hustler she did the foster home she had a beauty shop she like had a job cleaning white people's houses like two hours away so i would come home and mind you i'm seven years old but i would be on my own like just walking the streets of Agar's home making friends and uh i remember this was the first time i experienced th- that this was the second time still part of the foster process that I experienced racism or, or or something against my race where people thought that I was either Mexican or white because I look, you know, I, I can don't, see that. Yeah. So, and I would deal with people either calling me, they would call me Mexican most of the time. Like, yo, Mexican boy, Mexican boy, da, 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 da. And then I would explain, oh, my mom's white. My dad's black. And, uh, I will never forget there was this time I was playing with my group of friends and we were all going to, uh, we were playing in a tree and they were climbing in a tree. And when I went to go climb up, the kid was like, no white people allowed in the tree. Like, and told me I couldn't come in the tree. And it was at that moment, his father overheard him and came over and like scolded him and was like, and gave us a whole speech about Martin Luther King. And he's like, you know, this is exactly what he was talking about. And that he, you know, you're not supposed to, uh, you know, we're supposed Discrimin- to be together. Don't discriminate against, exactly. white. Don't discriminate exactly. against white people because they've had it rough enough. So now as a dog looking back at that situation, he didn't learn that from his dad. That was the mentality, the divisive mentality that was, you know, you learn in the streets of, you know, when you live in Acres Home. <laughs> uh well, uh, that's a lot, man. Yeah. There was, that was a lot of things that were all happening at once. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's race is a indelible mark that yeah. exists in America and I mean everywhere, but yeah. I mean, specifically in America, I mean the country, I mean, as I go off on my crazy tangent, but yeah, I was going to ask. So my question is, so that was like my first, my initial, um, and unfortunately, which was going to be the first experience of many as I got older of dealing with races and becoming aware that, that, you know, that this was a thing. Um, when was your first experience where you were conscious of the fact that, uh, all right. I think I probably was in like, I would say second grade, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, I was walking home uh, there was this kid who lived in the neighborhood and like we were friends, but it didn't make sense that we were friends. And I'll tell you why. Um, we got in an argument and uh, he called me a nigger and I went home and I like said to my mom, like, what's a nigger? And my mom's white. So you can imagine how fucking hard that conversation had to be. And that's really when it, you know, she explained like there are some people who, 
will not like you because of the way you look and because of your skin color. And turned out that that kid's family were neo-Nazis, but we were friends, so I don't know uh, how that quite worked out back then. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, but that was really the first uh, first experience I had um, with dealing with racism and i mean i'm sure there were before that because i'd be hard pressed to believe that i made it nine years of life without experiencing that in binghamton new york uh circa 1988 89 so it wouldn't surprise me if there was other events that happened that i just either don't remember or didn't piece together or just fell by the wayside that i don't know um so yeah i mean that was that was really the first time and Believe me, Binghamton uh, is not uh, not the not the cultural uh, place of uh, inclusivity as we'd like to think it is. Uh, you know, I remember it's weird because I've I've lived in I've lived in New York. This is what my tenth year, I think. Uh, this is my tenth year living in New York, and uh, I'll go back sometimes for gigs and to get out of here, or get out of New York, or whatever. And I'll go to bar. Like I'm used to going to places in New York and seeing black people and seeing brown people and seeing different shades of people, different shades, different sex, like different sexual orientations. Like I'm seeing people, right? I go back to Binghamton and I'll go into a bar. I am the only black person or there might be another, like there are three black people in a room of 40 people. That's fucking, that's creepy shit. You know, like, I went to the arena, uh, I went to a hockey game, because, you know, I had to get in touch with my roots, and I, uh, I was in that, st I was in the Broome County, it's not the Veteran Memorial, or whatever the arena is called now. Floyd Mains, I believe. Is it the Floyd Vet Mains? Veterans Memorial. Yeah, it's something, right? Something else. But I remember, I, like, looked out into the crowd, it was all white people, it was, if I percentage wise, it was probably ninety five percent white, which is fucking crazy. That's a, lot. That's a lot of white people or white people, W I P E P O, white people. White people. Yep. Uh, so when you have that sort of environment, and you have that, I guess, uh, for lack of better words, over representation of uh, white people, yeah, you're gonna have racist shit. It's gonna happen all the fucking time. So, happy Saturday. Yeah. Um, I, I remember the f when I first – so, the first time I returned to Binghamton was at the age of 18 after my parents died. And I remember moving there. Or maybe it was 19. And my ex – me and my ex moved there together. And she's, you know, she's uh, half Mexican and half German. But you could tell, you know, she's brown skin. Right. I'll never forget we we moved there and we went to Walmart and we're walking the one in uh, this was when they only had the one in the Vestal. one in Vessel right so we're walking through Walmart and we're just looking at each other we're like why is it there's it's only white people in here yeah and, and it was so weird to us and it, it was like freaky it was un it was it was like we felt out of place a little bit we're like uh. How do yeah. we how do we adjust to this? Because in Houston, especially in Southwest Houston, where we lived, I mean, there's every kind of everybody. It's a real melting pot. So I wasn't used to like, and and it's like I didn't consciously think about it because when you grow up in an environment, you become, oh, this is this is what I'm used to. But yeah, it's crazy. And and now living in New York, every time I go up there, it's 
it's such a different place, man. You know, uh, it's crazy. But but have you ever noticed though? Like if you go to Price Chopper Binghamton, there's a little more diversity than if you go to like Price Chopper and Wego or uh, Endicott or Shenango Bridge. Yeah, I mean, if you comparatively speak between Binghamton and Owego and uh, wherever, what, Johnson City, yeah, you're going to have more – I mean, there's more people in Binghamton. So I would say the law of averages would dictate that you're going to have more black people than you would in a smaller town like Owego where you've got like seven black people or I don't know, I guess there's five. Who knows how many at this point? Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if uh, diverse is the best word to describe it. Yeah. We'll just say that there's more black people. <laughs> there's a little uh, more. There's, a, there's, there's more than because when I hear when I hear diversity, that uh, leads me to believe that people actively are uh, pers- uh, they are in- actively including people of color. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that goes on necessarily in Binghamton, but I don't know. You know, and to be fair, like. I, I haven't lived there in however many years, um, so I don't know what sort of strides. Well, no, actually, that's not true. Um, there's a, a teacher who uh, in Binghamton who messaged me and asked me if I would, like, basically come up to Binghamton and talk to a class of black and brown kids about being black and brown in Binghamton. And uh, it's funny, she asked me in the most, like, just Binghamtonian way, like, hey, can you talk to kids about not being white? Like, you mean black? <laughs> like, just even the like the language that she used was so like, a, I don't want to talk. I don't even want to say the word black, right? Mm. I want to talk about. I want to talk about black people, but I don't even want to say the word. And mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, this is what Binghamton looks like. I mean, as we talk so much shit about uh, the land I'm from. Yeah, the um, it's you know it it, it it it's hard. It's like, did she mean it? Was she just scared to say black, or was it because she was trying to refer to like Latinos or no? She, white? I mean, it was. I I would fucking read it on here, but uh, no. I mean, I really think it was just. I'm gauging off of what she, the language she was using and how she was presenting herself was that like. Yeah, she didn't have the language to talk to an educated black person, or any black person for that matter. A, B, uh, she just wasn't on the stick, man. Like, she just couldn't. She was trying to do right, but it just didn't come off. It was it was an awkward stumble through race, which uh, happens more often than not. So, in other words... Um, if you're listening, uh, I think racism is fact. Uh, I would certainly go on record and say it's very real. Uh, so there you go. We're we're live. We're gonna do a little Facebook live while here talking about racism. Oh shit! Here, tell it like it is, boy. Yo. Jim, Jim here. Um, now we're on Facebook. We're on so many different so, platforms. So l- let's talk about this a little bit because I've noticed that uh, a lot of times when. We have discussions. You'll notice, like, on my page, we'll have discussions with different people. Yeah. I've noticed that sometimes that you and I, for an example, or other people that are live have lived in similar conditions, 
tend to have different opinions sometimes than some of the people that live in Binghamton, even people of color. Sure. Or other biracial people. I've gotten into it with people on your Facebook line, as a matter of fact. And so, you know, I was asking this. I'm going to ask you again. Yeah. Do you think – how do you think your perception of racism would be right now um, had you grew up in Binghamton and never left Binghamton and still live there? Uh, well, I think, you know, and we've talked about it, but I mean, my, uh, upbringing and my come up in Binghamton as a sort, I came from a family that was, became very aware of race as we got older and did do, uh, uh, participate in political activism to uh, as much as you can in Binghamton and did do some what I guess now would be considered like equity work. So I I think I would if I stayed in Binghamton, well I'd be working at Price Chopper if I did. Uh but I think I would still I wouldn't be completely in a sunken place if I was there. Um, I just don't think I would have as much information about race as I do now. Like I would, I don't think I would be, I wouldn't be completely blind to it. I wouldn't be like, there's no such thing as police brutality. You just have to do what they say. Like, no, I became pretty aware that that's not quite how that works. You know, like pull up your pants and they won't fucking, they won't fuck with you if you pull up your pants. Well, Malcolm X had his pants pulled up. They certainly weren't happy with him about it. So, you know, so there were those things that, like, I was aware of. But I guess in answer to the question, uh, yeah, I would certainly – I think I would still be in the same place, but I would be in the same mindset, not necessarily the same place. Like, living – you know, living in New York, as long as I have – I've met a lot of black people who are successful and who have, you know, careers and they have jobs and they, you know, and they're actively doing, they're actively doing uh, social activism. So, like, yeah, I mean, that's going to be scant, if at all, in Binghamton. Like, so, yeah. I remember you asked me the other day how many, how many millionaires, black millionaires, are there in Binghamton? Yeah, that's a that's a question I'd like to know. How many black millionaires are in Binghamton? The Jones brothers, maybe, and I, I don't even think they live there. I would, I want, I want, a, I want an eight month out of the year residency. Not less, anything less than eight, I'm not taking. I want eight month or better. How many black people are uh, are millionaires in Binghamton? And not that that's any, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not looking at it from, like, a bougie standpoint of, like, well, if you don't have money, then what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'd will i be willing to even scale back uh, millionaire, right? Um, I guess the comparative speak I would say is, is, like, is there a neighborhood, and now Binghamton's as big as it is, but, like, is there a neighborhood in Binghamton equivalent to a Fort Greene? Is there a neighborhood in Binghamton equivalent to Harlem, Harlem. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you have a, a community of middle class and upper middle class black people? Yeah. No. 
you got you got a couple families around Binghamton. Like, I mean, I know, I mean, I know black people in Binghamton who have jobs. Don't get me wrong. Like, I know those people and I'm friends with them. But I'm talking like a community wise. Like, yeah. That shit don't exist. And it's funny because I think that is what happens is that there 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 comes this overall. And this is where I where I was talking about with the dry racism. And I have family members and people like this. I don't. It's like it's almost like I don't think they realize even that they have, uh, you know, racist views, because and a lot of it sometimes has to do with the environment they grow up with, and that that even like I said, it even affects the people of color, as we said. For well, me, sure. like, I, see, it's funny because in my situation, my mom's family always looked at my dad's family like they were rich. They always looked at my dad's family like they were rich because my grandparents were working class, a working class black family who, who worked their way up to be upper middle class by the time that my father was, you know, of right. age. But it, when you live in it, so when you live in a place where, like you said, the majority of the people of color fit a stereotype. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you start to, th- I think that has a lot of impact to do with why that instant knee-jerk reaction, well, why didn't he just listen? Why didn't he just follow orders? Or Instead of asking, why was he being approached in that manner in the first place? Or, like, you know, it's... I mean, there's so much... Uh, there's so much lack of critical thinking that goes into that mindset where it's like, well, I don't know, the cops treat me fine as I'm... I'm speaking from, you know, some dumb white dude perspective but like cops treat me fine so they treat everybody fine and if they don't treat you fine then clearly you did something wrong and it's like so do you don't think that there are police out there who have prejudices that have biases that are fucking racists like like what what makes you think that because you did two years of work that you're not a racist like that's not that's not at all how that works so And also, I mean, I mean, there's so much that goes into why people either dismiss the claim of of the disproportionate amount of police fucking up black people. Uh, but I think one of the major ones is is that people don't want to. People get really uncomfortable when you hold a mirror up to their face, right? Absolutely. Like when you hold up a mirror and you show someone what what they're doing and how they're acting, they get really upset. You know, so, uh, yeah, if you hold up a mirror and go, hey, here's the fucked up shit you're doing, they go, well, that, no, that's not, nope, nope, uh, he, he shouldn't have, uh, he shouldn't have sagged his pants, because people who sag their pants need to get killed, so, there you go. And that's another thing, that, uh, you and I were discussing this, like, where, you know, some people will, you know, they'll, They'll say, oh, that, the guy's a thug, or he's sagging his pants, so he's a thug, or he's talking with a certain slang, and he's a thug, and they dislike, um, how do we put this, social rebellions that are assimilated to their culture. For instance, I know a guy who loves bikers, is all about the biker mentality, biker game mentality, but is quick to bash, you know, someone who uses urban slangs or urban clothing or other you know a form of outside the norm so to speak rebellion and to me i'm like if so if you have a problem with 
you have a problem with me using uh, Ebonic slang, or you, you have a problem with, you know, me dressing wearing, you know, in an urban matter, a flat brim hat tilted to the side. But you don't have a problem with a guy wearing a leather jacket and chains and pants and, and tattoos and, a, uh, you know, a biker, a Harley Davidson bandana on his head. To me, I'm like, you might be a little racist. Well, you know, I mean, it's one thing that, uh, I don't know, we, we didn't really get into it. But the, the thing now, well, at least in 2017, in the year of our Lord, is that racism doesn't exist, right? So there's no such thing. Racism is the uh, the 1950s where dogs are getting sick on people and hoses were spraying people. Well, actually, that'd be more the 60s. But that's racism, right? Racism now, like in order for people, I think for some people at least, to meet the threshold where they say that's racist, they have to see that. Right. They have to see those old videos and go, Okay, that's what racism looks like. Mm -hmm. Racism isn't. Well, uh, I don't know. Why is he sagging his pants like that? Or, you know, uh, you know, I got a friend who's black. So there's no like you were saying, like I got my friends black. So there's no like no one's a race. Well, because it's culture. It's not culturally acceptable to overtly be a racist. Right. Yeah. Subvertly. Fine. Right. You do your dog whistle talk. You say thugs. You say uh, criminals. You know. You watch Fox News. There you go. That's what that is, right? So, uh, yeah. Will someone email uh, Matt, who is a racist? Because we, you know, we want to hear what you have to say. Uh, tell us. Tell us why we're wrong. Yeah. Tell, explain to me where I fucked up, because I definitely would like to hear where. Uh, where where my feelings are certainly skewed. We, we definitely need some emails to uh Yeah, man. Radio at gmail.com. That's T I L I Truth Radio at gmail.com. Yeah, man. It's uh this isn't I mean, this is fun. It's great to chop it up, but yeah, who's gonna tell me that all lives matter and that Well let's see, we went live a minute ago and I, I'm sorry uh, I'm sure. Let's, yeah. see, let's just see what some of our. Uh, yeah. What did somebody say? What did they, I saw? We went live. Someone wrote search. Yeah. So we had that was Wilma Dare. Search Godfather. Um, right now, and then McCarthy asking, "Is this still live?" Um, no responses just yet. Um, but it is. You know, it's the first episode, man. You I, got, I, I, you know, and, and just so you know, we tried to get some people with some opposing views or from opposing standpoint points. Like, I don't want people to um, get the impression that this is always going to be a leaning one way or the other type show. I mean, this, my, my goal is this I, I, cuck, course, yeah. this cuck snowflake radio yeah. show yeah. where all these yeah. libtards talk about uh, yeah. feelings and caring about people. <laughs> what happened What happened to just being able to just, you know, call people niggers and spicks? <laughs> How come all these niggers are calling me a racist? I don't fucking like it. Oh, I don't know, man. man. You, you tell me why that's happening. Yeah. Really sorry. Yeah. Really sorry to hear that's a thing. But, um, <laughs> yeah, obviously, I'm as a human being, I'm gonna have my own opinion. So, and that's why you know I do what I do with the beginning part to point out the black and white, and then go into to let you know when we're transitioning into the point where I'm expressing my own thoughts on the matter. And we welcome everybody to come and share uh, their thoughts on the matter. Just don't be wrong. Don't 
be wrong. <laughs> just, just uh, don't tell and, me one plus one equals three, because then yeah. we're gonna have a problem. See, but I will say, you know, uh, one of the things that, especially, you know, because we would be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, our president and the people that enjoy his work, um, is. There was and still is this idea of like, well, you know, you need to hear the other side, right? Like, I need to hear what, I don't know, a fucking coal miner in West Virginia has to say. Like, I have to be part of that conversation. And it's like, well, here's the problem is that the stance that you're on minimizes and silences my existence, right? That's the other side. So I don't know what I'm supposed to listen to. If you if you're on that right, you mm-hmm. know, so it's like if you're you know, and you know, maybe it's divisive. I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. But look, if you voted for Trump, you're either a racist or you're cool with it. Like it wasn't it wasn't a deal yeah. breaker. My my thing is is either you're a bigot, a billionaire, or a sucker. <laughs> because I like that. That's- you're. Either and there's people that are straight up bigots and don't really have. They're like, yeah, you know, build the wall, get these Muslims out. And I remember I was at this I was at this open mic just really quick. I remember I was at this open mic and like I had this conversation with some comic about Trump and he's like, well, you know what? I feel like there's this idea that these Trump supporters are all stupid and like, well, they're not. There's a lot of them that aren't stupid. I'm like, well, so then they're bigots. That's better. Like, what's so the other alternative is is that these people aren't dumb, but they're just evil is that my understanding got it yeah but go on I'm yeah sorry. and then i think then there's billion people that are like well i'm okay yeah uh, it, it's not, it not even, maybe billionaires a stretch you could be a multi-millionaire or somebody who stands to be okay or gained from someone's part where, where you're not going to be touched by that's why there, you know there's certain people of color that support him and are in certain economical places where they kind of just don't care. They're like, eh, it doesn't affect me. I'm okay. My family's all right. I don't have time to get caught up in that. Yeah. Um. And, and, and this is my stance when it comes to that. Like, I remember someone, my uncle, another one, a uh, dry racist. My uncle, I love him, but he's he's a dry racist. Um, he tried to tell, we're debating white privilege, which is a real thing, by the way. And we'll get into that in a second. Um, he tried to tell me that he... He was trying to tell me and my brother how we should, as people of color, think. He was debating with us because we supported Obama to a, to an extent. Like, I'm never blindly 100% think any politician is Jesus. But, yeah, I supported Obama. I thought he was a pretty good but president overall. But he's the closest. Yeah. <laughs> thought he was a pretty good he's president overall. Closest. I didn't fear... I didn't. I didn't live in fear of my safety. Yo, man. Uh, um, go ahead. After I got some. After you say it, go ahead. But um, so my uncle tried using Ben Carson. Well, Ben Carson says this, and I said to my uncle, you know, I think Ben Carson's a sellout. And I was like, and at the risk of sounding cliche, I was like, let me explain to you what I mean by a sellout. And I was like, it's fine. I'm happy for Ben Carson and people like him that find independent success and wealth and whatever good for you but he didn't he got his he he got a leg up from government assistance well, yeah but, but my like, point is is that he found his he found a way to get to where he's at and good for you but when you now all of a sudden start that you're going to start speaking on behalf of 
all people of color, when you have not been involved in social issues that affect the majority of people by color, to me, you're a sellout. Because what you're doing is like, let me lend my voice to all these white people that want to do things that are oppressive and as if I can speak for all people of color. And Willie D used a way more colorful word for to describe it, but I think he hit it on the head where he said that if your criticism, if you're a person of color and your criticisms of the black community outweigh your contributions to the black community, then you're a sellout. We got to take a break. Um, when we come back, um, I want to hear what you have to say. And we're going to get into talking about um, white privilege and light skin privilege and how they exist, how they affect, and the socioeconomic sections of racism and how it affects people from different economic classes. This is Tunnel Like It Is. We'll be back. Welcome back. This is Telling It Like It Is. Yeah. Your boy, Matt the Godfather, and my comrade, Jim Search. Hey. Uh, talking about racism in America. Yeah, man. Racism. It's, it's real. It's real. I'm still coming down on fact. I haven't changed over the uh, episode. I'm still on team fact. It hasn't gone. I don't think it's going to go to opinion by the end of this. <laughs> Unless somebody email, send me a compelling argument. Tell me why I'm wrong. If yeah. you can tell me why I'm wrong, I'd be more than willing to read or listen to what you have to say. Tell yeah. me how I'm making this up. Yeah. Um, the numbers aren't there. So one of the hot topics, you know, when it involves racism, and I think it's part of the byproducts of Byproducts and purpose of systemic racism um, is the white is white privilege, right? Um, there has been a lot of people who deny. It. They're like they don't want to hear it. They are like, oh, there's no such thing. And I see these pictures of like poor little Irish kids and poor little white kids. And be like, this is what white privilege is. And I and I have to explain to them that you can be poor and white and still that's not what it means it doesn't mean you're economically privileged it's not economics and the fact that to equate poverty to equality to black people further demonstrates racism right to say well look i'm poor so i know what it's like to be black and oh you know what it's like to be racist yeah. that's what you're basically saying yeah. but go on and for me i the way I know white privilege exists is because as a biracial person who can at times pass for white, I've experienced it. I've gotten to know when I can almost tell when someone thinks when they think I'm white as a compare as opposed to when they think I'm a person of color or sometimes like, see, this is a thing growing up in Texas and being my skin tone, they would think that I was like a Texican. Which there's a lot of Latino Mexicans that are Texicans, as you will. Um, th that's pretty much like being white because they have fully assimilated, you know, to right. white culture and have joined the, hey, at least I'm not black. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, it's called the racial bribe. And so I would, th and that would be the case. And it would happen when, and you would know because people would feel comfortable and they would say things like, oh, Oh, nigger this, or they would say some blatantly racist stuff. And my reaction as I was younger would be to like check them, like, what did you say? I'm half, you know, you know, I'm half black. And then, it, you know, we get old because almost always it was the same reaction. Oh, man, dude, uh, I didn't mean it, man. I, I got black friends, man. I I'm not racist. I got black. I just, I was just saying, like, uh, 
If I had it's, a dollar for every time. It's a word. Yeah, yeah. So that would be the, the, the situation uh, a lot of the time. Um, and then, I was I, like, even now as an adult, um, you know, living in New York, most places, it's pretty diverse. You don't deal with it. But I'll tell you, when I lived in Maspeth for, like, that, yeah, for people that. don't, a lot of people we know, like, you say Maspeth, they're like, where's that, Long Island? Uh, technically, yeah, because it's in Queens, but a lot of people don't realize when you get outside of Manhattan into the outer boroughs, especially Queens, Queens is just like a bunch of little small villages compiled. And granted, there's parts of Queens that are very extremely diverse, Jackson Heights, Astoria, but you go to some of these hamlets like Mazpeth that were are were European settlements, and I would like I was like I feel I would walk to the bar down the street and I would go down and sit down and I would get that feeling they're trying to figure out what are you like test the water let me test the waters with what I say um, what are you is are code. you Russian or are you Hispanic or are you Puerto Rican you know what I mean like what are you is code for why do I hate you <laughs> maybe what, what is which is why I moved to Brooklyn because I was like you know what. I'm not going to live in New York and have to deal with this crap. So, I, so I'm happy to say I don't deal with that living here. But so I know the difference from the way that I've been treated when people think I'm white as opposed to when they know I'm a person of color. Um, when I cut my hair and I'm shaved and I'm tan, people, you, you, I, it's a little more obvious that I'm a person of color. Right. When I grow my hair out and... Uh, you know, especially in Binghamton, people just thought I was Italian or something, or or, or white can, with traces of Native American. I can see that. And you would see there, there's a difference. And here's the crazy thing: more often than not, black folks always can tell, but there's times when they can't. And even black, there was times when black folks treated me different, when they thought I was a white person, well, and then when they found out I was a black person, it was like, oh, you just another nigga. <laughs> Well, it's into. I mean, I guess you know, kind of lends itself to, uh, I guess, light skin privilege or colorism as, uh, and it's. Re- I mean, that exists certainly. I mean, there definitely is. I don't want to say that this is a uh, overarching theme of my life because I mean, we all have we we have privilege in one way, shape, or another, right? Mm-hmm. We all are exposed to it, and you know having an education is a privilege um it's not a right as much as we'd like to think it is it's certainly not um and i was lucky enough to have come from a family that valued education and pushed that and so as a result you know i was exposed to education and i learned i learned shit right when you know shit you have power Mm -hmm. so case in point uh, as some, as if the listeners should go check my uh, cab stories because if you go to the Gothamist, you can read all about how I fight cab drivers. Um, but th- th- more specifically, what I'm uh, talking about is uh, living in New York. There, this is pre-Uber era. Um, you try and get a cab in Manhattan, and it w- they won't go to Brooklyn. A uh, couple reasons. Uh, no, none are none are neither here nor there, right? But one of the main ones is is that uh, if you're from a neighborhood that is less affluent, then you are certainly denied services as a result. So, very long story short, I get into a cab. 
cab driver was like, I'm not going to Brooklyn. I'm like, well, yeah, you are. He's like, well, I'm not going to go. I'm like, well, by law, you have to. And if you don't, I can report you. And so we go back and forth. And the fact that I haven't, I had education and I had access and I had knowledge, I was able to fight that and use my quote-unquote privilege. It was pretty epic, too, by the way. It was pretty epic. It was an epic takedown. Uh, it went viral. No big deal. Uh, but that, I mean, that being an example of having an education and using that, for lack of better words, privilege to exercise my right and say, I know that you can't do this. When you don't have that privilege, when you don't have the privilege of education, you don't know, you get out of the car. There's so many people that I know that are just like, well, fuck it, they're not going to Brooklyn, so that's that. I, I, they, they don't have to, like, they, they don't know, right? So, yeah, I mean, there, and, you know, and also, I mean, in terms of privilege, like, you know, I think about this sometimes, like, I've, li- again, I've been in New York forever. I've gotten fucking drunk and slept on the train. Didn't think twice about it. Got on the train, passed out, woke up at my stop, and went about my life. There is no woman that I know that would even think that that's an okay thing to do or to live their life like that. That is a privilege that I have as a dude. That I And on top of that, being a dude, like a black dude or a biracial dude, I have the complexion for the protection. If I fall asleep... In a neighborhood. Unless it's the cops that stop you. Unless it's the cops that fuck with me, then that's a different conversation. But if I walk around if I walk around a neighborhood, if I'm walking around, I don't know, Bushwick or well, East Bushwick, if you will, or wherever you want to talk about, yeah, I definitely don't feel like, oh shit, they're looking at a biracial dude. No, they're looking at a nigga. Like that's what they see, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean there is that sort of protection that you do have. I mean, I don't want to call. It. I mean, that's like the, the one of the s- three pluses of uh, in the system in this game that I have is that I can walk around a neighborhood and not feel like, oh shit, they're gonna uh, they're gonna fuck with me because you know because I look a certain way. I'm not like from around here. Yeah, like I remember I was in New Orleans. Funny man, I was in New Orleans. I was with two friends of mine. Uh, we were riding bikes around and shiz recently they're two white dudes and uh <laughs> um we're riding around and they're like oh man we're about to get into like this rough section of new orleans we might get robbed blah 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 and i go you might <laughs> <laughs> i just look like a drug dealer trying to get you motherfuckers that's really what this looks yeah. like yeah. i'll probably be all right yeah. but you guys are probably fucked yeah. well no they're gonna no no i don't think i i didn't make it this far for nothing dude yeah. i i know how to work this game <laughs> that's funny yeah it's uh you know privilege is a funny thing but what i so what i've learned to do now is um i had a cab driver his name was Vito. Vito is a racist old italian dude um and i i and, and i didn't come up with this idea man. i read an article I can't remember who wrote the article, but it was about it was a woman and her biracial sister. They were biracial. One looks black, one lo- one looks white, and that's where I got the the. I was like, oh, that's a good idea. So, I, what I do now is, if I'm in a situation such as with Vito, my old racist cab driver, I used to use when I used the car service. He thought he didn't think I was a person of color. He would pick me up. I was kind of dark. I think he thought I was Italian or Russian. It's Mazpeth. 
and he was he would say he wouldn't exactly say nigger, but he was pretty racist. He's close. And so he close. Instead of me like checking him and being like I'm half black, I chose to be like speak to him as his peer. I'm like, oh, he sees me as a white person, so let me correct him and let him know that he's wrong and argue with him or, or debate some of the dumb shit that he says. Uh, but let me do it as a white person because maybe if I speak to them as a white person, he'll feel more like, oh, I should make maybe this is a valuable lesson. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, I think uh, he's probably going to be a racist, regardless of what color you look like. I think once a racist, always a racist. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, that's one of those things where, dude, I mean, Vito, the old racist cab driver, um, really uh, is probably, I would imagine, is going to look at you like a cuck or a libtard or a snowflake and say, well, well you, you're, you're just being sensitive about it. So why don't you, you, you are getting, wait, why are you getting, well, I can, and I can hear this. Why are you getting offended on their behalf? You shouldn't be offended on their behalf. If a black person is offended, that's fine. But if you, as a white person, tell me that I can't be a racist, that's bullshit. <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> well, who, who I don't. I don't rules, get offended. Sir. I was telling people first and foremost, I don't get offended. But if I see you say some disrespectful shit, I, 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 I don't get offended. But if you disrespect me, or if I feel disrespected, I'm gonna let you know. And. If I see you saying some stuff that's like racist, if you're being a bigot or a racist, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna be like, uh, you know, this is 2017. Maybe you should try not being a racist or you know, any kind of bigotry, really. When I hear it and see it, um, but you know, I, I don't know. I think there was some value to what was said there. That is one of the few times it's worked. Every other time, there's been a few other occasions sitting at bars in Mazpeth, usually. Or, and uh, it's happened in Binghamton, too, where someone says something racist, and I start to talk. I think then they look at me, and they're like, oh, shit, this guy, is, he, he's like, he's one of them. <laughs> um, well, it's, I mean, especially, I mean, you know, in Binghamton, it's interesting because it's like, you know, I have, well, I don't even know if I have that group of friends anymore, but, like, yeah, I mean, I had a group of, uh, white, like, you know, I was pretty much the only black dude out of this white group of friends, and I can remember having their, like, their friends kind of join our group or, like, hang out or whatever. Yeah. And they would, I would catch them just about to say something like, that fucking... D uh, uh, no. Thug. Yeah, like... <laughs> Or then, you know, would, you know, just try and... Well, I don't... What? Like, what were you about to say? Yeah. Well, I don't mean, like, you, like, you know, you're You're good. one of the good ones. You're good. You're like, one of the good ones, Jim. You you don't speak black, so yeah. I feel like that's... Oh, man. Glad you brought that up. Which, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, what is that? What does that even mean? Uh, but, again, it, that ultimately comes back to how stone ignorant uh people are yeah and how look even i mean this is beautiful there's definitely black people who throw that shit around and you talk but, white but that's that mental enslavement oh know? for sure man that's kind of like what i was telling you earlier to the earlier point about your bringing like you like you mentioned um 
you know, some of our friends that are people of color that grew up in Binghamton, and they're kind of like, yeah, you know, they get it, you know, niggers, blah, blah, blah. they buy the whole, not all black people, you know, there's some black people that are just niggers, there's niggers, and then there's black people, which are things a racist might say, that doesn't, and, and try to act like they're not, um, I think it comes to the enslavement of people being brainwashed into believing that there's a certain stereotype or there's a certain thing. And that's where, like, with and you and I have talked about this many of times, and it would piss me off. When people, when you hear someone speak educated, you say they're talking white. It's like, would, the, would Malcolm X talk white? Then and, and half the MLK. time, is, they never even heard Malcolm X talk, and that's why. You know, they... And it... it, it it's your, I mean, to your point about uh, black people who uh, the mental enslavement aspect. There's also an element of self-loathing that goes into it too. That you've been taught, you've been, we, we, you know, and again, as I get on the soapbox, but America teaches you to hate black people, and they teach you to hate yourself. Mm-hmm. They teach you that big noses and wide lips aren't attractive. Mm-hmm. They teach you that dark skin doesn't look good. They teach you all these things, so there's people who internalize it, and it manifests itself in, well, those fucking niggers over there. It's like, well, aren't you black? Well, uh, I, I don't, no, I don't, I'm black, but just those niggers. It's like, no, nah, man, they taught you that. Mm-hmm. You were, they teach you that from the fucking beginning, dude. Uh, I saw that. I would see that in Binghamton. I knew a couple people of color, that, and I remember being like, what? Do you not see yourself? Yeah, yeah, but but it it but I now looking back at it, I, I really think it has a lot to do with that. You know, with what you said, you're like I never saw. I think when you grow up in a in, in an area and you never see a community of yeah. people of when all you see of people of color are communities of people who live up to the stereotype, quote unquote, and then a few good ones. That goes into. And it, it's, you know, and it's just, it's sad because the reality is there's a whole rich culture and a whole, um, there's a lot of those communities. Like even, I remember in Houston, whole communities of people of color that were like upper middle class. And that also goes to the overall opinion. Like how many times have you heard a white person in uh, in Binghamton or somewhere else, like automatically their first thought of the ghetto is Harlem. Harlem, Harlem. And Harlem had some rough parts, and it did have some rough parts, but people don't realize that Harlem was one of the first middle-class to upper-middle-class black communities. And once upon a time, it was that until the heroin Sugar Hill. epidemic. Yeah, until the heroin epidemic. And they, but they yet they still managed to keep a few enclaves of that were people of color that had money, the convent. Um, yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, and it's like, it, it's, it's an image that is... Easily, I mean, well, you want to go back to the negative image, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the easier one to sell. It's e- it's the easiest one to latch on to. And especially when it comes to race, you don't want to hear mm-hmm. black people or uh, people of color. You don't want you don't want to hear them doing well, right? Because then that defeats that defeats your paradigm that you have about black people, which is you know? part of the the inner workings and the science of systemic racism is someone has to be the scope, the scapegoat in culture. And it wasn't a new theory. Like they've used it throughout the history of the world. But when we're talking about America, the scapegoats of our society were meant to be black people and the people of color and they design laws. And I mean, they know like with the FBI was formed, like J Edgar Hoover was notorious 
targeting civil rights leaders, people that were— Hey, man, MLK was a terrorist. Which, which brings me up another point, because another thing that comes up in conversation, another thing my dry racist uncle would say, and people would use, how about some accountability? People that don't take—hold themselves—you uh, know, how about black folks start holding themselves accountable? And this is my argument to them. Black folks—you're right. Black people of color should—there are some people who use the color of their skin as an excuse— Anybody, you, any person in the world, if they're a piece of shit, is going to find whatever excuse they can. That being said, there have been numerous leaders and organizations and people about holding ourselves accountable throughout history and uplifting and building something. And guess what happens? The FBI, um, society, they, quote unquote, whoever, has tried to assassinate their character and or assassinate them. So well, I guess my question uh, I would ask is, uh, you know, in terms of like, well, why don't you hold yourself? Why don't they hold themselves accountable? Why? Do, 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 what does that have to do with oppression? What does what does that have to do with a police officer killing me because my taillight's broken? What does that have to do with me not getting a job because my name's Tyrone? What does that have to do with me being followed around a store when I have money? What does that mm-hmm. have to do with me not getting a cab because I look a certain way? It's you're conflating. That's conflating the issue yeah. of the fact that there is the there are these models of oppression that exist. Mm-hmm. That no one wants to speak to because, again, you move the goalpost, you change the direction of the conversation. I mean, I can remember there's this dude. Uh, he's from Binghamton. Uh, he un- he has unfriended me since, which I thought was hilarious. But when someone unfriends me, I would say they, I saw me. When I get a friend or black, it's usually because I was right and they couldn't handle it. Oh uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, well, although to be fair, um, I've certainly unfriended people because they're trash people. Oh like, yeah, yeah, you do the. Un- there's there's people that like you can unfriend that are just garbage motherfuckers, right? Like that are just saying. And if like if, I I will counter that with if if you're on my if you're in my Facebook world, right? Mm-hmm. I'm willing to have discuss like well not me but uh, other people will have uh, debate they'll have discourse they'll go back and forth but if you're just gonna start saying racist awful shit to me there's no fucking reason that we should be friends yeah yeah, yeah. give me a reason why we should be a friend you yeah. should be a friend right yeah um, but there was this dude uh, my uh, the point I was making is there's this dude who. Uh, I met him. I was like a parade day or some shit, and uh, I don't know. We became friends on Facebook, and he posted this video. And actually, I got a couple shares. Uh, my exchange with him, but he posted this video of like these five black dudes beating up this white dude, right? And he's like, you know, what? What's? Where's the accountability? Oh, I mean, this is you know, this is a hate crime. Do do do. And went on to this crazy rant, and I just kept writing to him. Well, what did this white person do? Is he a thug? We should really look at his criminal record. I need to hear the other side of the story before yep. I can really make any sort of yep. judgment about this. Mm-hmm. And he was getting, and I was just more, he's getting more and more upset. He's like, what the fuck, bro? You mean to tell me that it doesn't matter what this person did? They really did something terrible. And now other people have started to chime in like, I think he's just using the same argument that he <laughs> used all the time. <laughs> and I think that's when he yeah, decided that we weren't going to be friends on Facebook anymore. You know, one of my favorites in that context is when they share 
hear these stories about like the time like uh is it the time the cop like plays basketball with like three black kids in- no no not okay. that one I, I actually despite like you know some I actually think that's cool and it's a positive thing to show I know some people see it as oh let's just trying to distract us but I think it's I think you should shed light on cops that do good but no I'm talking about like when for instance um the, like the case where those kids in was it Chicago or Detroit where they led that the the white kid to to the house and beat him and uh put it on video and were were uh yikes yeah and it was a situation like that and then there was another situation in like Tennessee where like three black dudes raped a white girl and killed her and so they'll sh- they'll show these things and be like, "Where's the media outrage? Where's the outrage? Where's all the media outrage?" And I'm just looking at them like, "Here's the difference in these situations, and 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 both all the situations that I've ever seen is posted. The people were not only arrested immediately, but charged. Like those those kids in and um uh, I'm drawing, but I think it was Chicago. You can say okay. Chicago. I'm fine. With it, it, it was it, it was these three kids, little scumbags took this mentally challenged kid and like beat him and were like screaming fuck Trump or something like that and they got charged with a hate crime a hate crime and um immediately like there was no there was no they got they got arrested they got charged and you you can bet those kids are going to jail for a long time and yeah. the case of the girl in Tennessee where I saw I went to the research a life in prison so that's the difference the outrage is well, where a dude chokes a guy to death on camera and doesn't even get indicted. A, 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 a dude shoots an unarmed man and... No charges. No charges. A whack job, repeated whack job, stalks after he's told by a 911 yeah. operator to leave the kid alone, stalks him, ends up killing this kid, and Me walks too. away. That's why there's outrage. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, ultimately the point is that there is, there is accountability for people that do, black for black people, well, there's an over-accountability for black people that do crime because if you, you know, this is a side note, but, like, if you look at the level of sentencing that happens to black men versus white men, you see a higher amount of time served for charges that are uh, are comparable. Absolutely. Right? So you know it's. But again, I mean, these are statistics. These are facts that you throw out there, and there's always there's always a reason. There's always well, I don't know if that's the case, and I don't you know because when you're a racist, you don't want to hear that yeah. stuff. Yeah. No, it's um, true. It's fact. There is there is uh, facts and numbers, and I. I wish I could pull them up right now about the, uh, but I'll tell you like in my own experience, like I had friends, um, I won't say anybody's name that name names that were got arrested for conspiracy to distribute Coke. They got busted with a Coke hammer and it was a lot of Coke. A lot Don't of money, name names. A lot of guns. They all happen to be white. And, the the funny thing is the friend of mine who was like the they he, the the ringleader quote unquote at how they tried to charge him like 
he ended up doing like I think it was like a year, like less than two years. It wasn't even he didn't go away. So and, and it's funny because this is a friend that we talk about sometimes and, and about race, and he's kind of takes that approach. Well, you know, the dry racist approach to some degree. Wow. And I'm like, let me ask you something. Do you realize? You realize that if you were black, you'd be you under and I would jail. not be sitting here looking at each other right you'd now. You'd be under the he jail. Had to think about it, he couldn't say no, and I'm like, and that's white privilege. Bam. That so don't there. next time, don't ever ask me again, approve or whatever, because that is white privilege right there. To a fucking T. I know several people, similar or lower car, charges, drug charges, who are still in jail right now. Yeah. And went away before him. So. It's just, it's just that, and, and, and I'm glad my friend's not in jail. But the point is, is become aware that this is something that you're not in jail because you're white, and there's people that are black that are in there, that they they got they get sentenced differently, and it happens that way. And you, and like I said, the opinion, you know, I guess it's a matter of opinion. If we're like, is it because they're black or if they're white? But the facts are, black people are charged a lot more severely for the same crimes as white people and i mean you know if you read uh michelle alexander's book the new jim crow you'll see just some very you'll see some really fucking terrible statistics about how disproportionate how disproportionate uh people of color are placed into jail how over policed neighborhoods are and this is something that just fucking blew my mind but um, drug proceeds and drug money that's seized goes in and goes in back into the police force. They use it to buy weapons. They militarize the police. So it's unless you're in Broome County, then they use it to buy chairs. Yeah, <laughs> you remember the big scandal? Nah, the man. Drug. Sheriff Harder had used uh, drug seized money to buy new le- new chairs for the conference room or something. But anyway, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the legal system is really not set up for, uh, uh, black people to win. Uh, white people seem to do all right. Uh, white people with money really do well. Do very well. Like they do great. Brock Turner. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, he did, uh, three months. He, uh, raped a woman. He definitely raped a woman. And, uh. He uh, and I believe his lawyer said that if he were to do time in prison, could seriously ruin his. The judge future. said that. Oh, the judge said that. The judge said that he feels that jail prison would seriously affect his future. Right. Something to that. I gotta I gotta look up the exact quote, but yeah, it was basically like, oh, it'll affect, have a negative impact on his future. Yeah. Couldn't imagine what it'd be like to be raped, though. I guess you can just shake that off. Yeah, you know, it's a paper cut. You just kind of uh, walk that one away, right? Isn't that yeah. how that works? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus H. Christ. Yeah, so we're coming to the end of our show here. I uh, Listen, this is a conversation that we're going to have again. Um, there will definitely yeah. be a part two. We need this. to do a part two. And if you are a racist or don't think it's real, you should totally write an email or try and get on the show. Um. So Jim, uh, what up? What do, what do you got? What, you, what do you got going on right now? What do you got coming up? What do I got going on? Um, as we just talk like dark, heady, terrible shit. Um, I'll lighten it up. Uh, as I told you before, um, I have a uh, two podcasts. Um, if you like '90s rap, you should totally listen to Swatches and Boomboxes. You can find it on Gmail.com. 
Uh, if you watch Bar Rescue, a great show on Spike TV, uh, I co-host a podcast uh, with Max Cohen uh, called Shut It Down, Bar Rescue Recap Show. Uh, you should totally look for that. Um, and then you could also go to jimsearchcomedy.com. Uh, you can find all my dates uh, on Instagram. I'm at jimsearch. Twitter, I'm at jimsearch. And also, get ready for this. Um, being the renaissance man that I am, uh, I wrote a play. Uh, it's called Jesse the Catfish, a comedy. Uh, it's going to be at the pit on July 23rd at 7 o'clock. It's a really funny play. Uh, it's about the time that I got catfished. And that was really hilarious. So these are the things that I have coming up. Uh, of course, uh, go find me at gymsearchcomedy.com again if you want to find any of my show dates. Uh, thank you, Matt, the Godfather Ely, for having me on your show. I really appreciate it, man. This was so much fun, dude. Absolutely. I love I'm, I'm, Thank you for being here. And sure, I'll, sure. And, I'll, and I hope to have you as a regular here. As yeah. Discussion as we have. You, the show we're going to top, top, you know, there's no topic we won't. You know, we'll talk about everything from politics to entertainment, sports to, you know, we have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, we, there's a lot of ground we'll cover. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'll talk about other things. You know, I like to uh, talk about uh, other facts and opinions. Like, I think that meatball subs are the best sub ever, and I'll fight anyone who thinks differently. Let's yes. do this. I also need to make a correction. I, I said the wrong email. The email is Radio at gmail.com that's t-i-l-i-t-r-u-t-h radio at gmail.com um so that's it for today's show if you have any opinions or questions about what was said on this program please email also if you would like to be a guest on the show or would like to hear something you tell us what you would like to hear us talk about on this show give me some ideas for some topics and we would do our best to try to cover them. Uh, special Word. thanks to my producers, Veronica Ely and Zara Vignola. Yeah. Um, we are hard at work at making the show better. This was the first one, and hopefully we can only grow from here. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. We are out. We're not Democrats. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a liberal. I'm not a conservative. I'm a realist, and I'm always telling it like it is.